As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Saskal, joined by my friend and colleague, Paul Tenorio. Paul, I've been off for a while. This is my first show in like a month. Has anything happened in the world of U.S. soccer since I was gone? No, man. I mean, when you were gone, like everything stops. Like people are like, oh, Sam's on vacation. Like nothing is going to happen at this time. <laughs> so it was a very calm and quiet, uneventful start to man. 2023. And I, I just, you know, basically like I was working, but there was nothing happening, you know? Yeah, was- I can't, I can't believe I missed a whole season of Game of Thrones that happened in <laughs> yeah. the span of 48 hours for the U.S. men's national team. What a disaster. I think that's fair to say. Um, we'll get into that a little bit more. Obviously, the, the that Reina, being the Gio Reyna drama. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, people have been talking about that for a little bit of time now it's it's somewhat old news but it's still relevant and still implications for the men's national team potentially for austin fc uh for the burhalter and reyna families and everyone in them uh i haven't shared my thoughts so i'll I'll share some of those later in the show um but there's a lot going on mls and apple revealed uh a partial roster or a roster not the complete roster of commentators that will be giving us games in MLS beginning this season. They did that on Tuesday. We're recording on Wednesday. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the Apple deal and some of those names. Uh, and then there's a lot happening just in MLS. Joseph Martinez potentially on his way to Miami. Certainly looks like he's gone from Atlanta as we reported on Tuesday. Maybe the playoff format isn't going to be a World Cup style tournament, but maybe there's going to be a best of three in the first round and intra-league transfers, an actual transfer market within MLS. That might be something that could be here relatively soon. Uh, We'll talk about all of that stuff, but we're going to start, Paul, with the Apple deal. Just because there's been a lot of interest in this, it kicks off in six weeks. We're six weeks away from the start of the season, which is absolutely insane. Uh, and now we have a few names that will be broadcasting matches. So Taylor Twelman is kind of the headline signing, the buzzy one. Uh, he'll be providing color commentary. Um, some of the play-by-play names that have been signed up, Max Bretos, Steve Cangelosi, Jake Zivin. Um, MLS fans will be familiar with those three guys. Max, obviously, 
with LAFC the last few years, Steve Cangelosi with Red Bulls, Jake Zivin, Portland Timbers. They've all had national TV experience as well. Pablo Ramirez will be doing some Spanish language play-by-play and Frederick Lord, some French language play-by-play. A decent number of match analysts have been hired. Kendra de St. Aubin uh, from Minnesota, Marisa Du, who did a lot of Atlanta games as well as a lot of national games. Lori Lindsay, Danielle Slayton, Marcelo Balboa will be doing Spanish language work. Sebastian Latou, some French language work. Sasha Kleshton, Bradley Wright Phillips. The the twenty the mid twenty tens Red Bulls pretty well represented here, Paul. Yeah, um, for sure. And, uh, Diego Valeri as well will be doing some Spanish language work. And then studio host Liam McHugh. Uh, NHL on TNT, formerly NBC Sports, did a lot of Premier League coverage for them. Jillian Sakovitz, obviously, has been around MLS for a long time. And Tony Churchy, doing some Spanish language studio stuff. There will be many more names added to this list as time goes, according to what Paul, you and I, and Pablo Maurer reported. A few other names that aren't on that list to keep an eye on. Play-by-play, Keith Costigan of the Sounders, Ed Cohen, who I believe does radio broadcasts for the New York Knicks. Uh, Tyler Terrens. Chicago Fire broadcaster, Eric Krakauer, Charlotte FC, Kevin Egan, Atlanta United play-by-play, and then color commentators, analysts, Brian Dunseth, Lloyd Sam, Ross Smith, Tony Miola, Jamie Watson. I think that that about covers what, what we reported. So keep an eye on those names. I think they'll probably all be signed up before it's all said and done. So so it's starting to take shape, Paul. Um, how do you feel about, about those names? How do you feel generally about this Apple product? MLS season pass, I should say, uh, as we approach the launch. Well, I think, first of all, you know, we had heard almost kind of early on uh, when when this transition was happening that they were chasing some bigger names like Taylor Twelman. So wasn't surprised to see Taylor move to to Apple MLS, especially considering that ESPN totally removed itself from soccer or has been removed, um, depending on how you look at it from American soccer, from American soccer. Um, and for most of, of soccer in general, they have the Bundesliga still on ESPN plus they have some English championship. They have some La Liga. They don't, they don't put every game on their network. Um, but they, they're out on USMNT and USWNT. They are out on MLS. And so it's just not a lot for Taylor Twelman to do there. Um, though he said yesterday at this media event that, you know, there were options for him to stay on and, and, I mean, and do he, he other could have sports. yelled about third downs every five he weeks. Absolutely on first could have. I think, I think in, he would have been good at it. Um, but instead he comes over and, and he's full time on MLS. So I thought that was an important hire, uh, a record, you know, probably the most recognizable soccer broadcaster, I would say. Um, well, other than us, but yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, and, and I think we, you know, some, some good hires in general here, some of the, the play-by-play names and, and analysts that we're familiar with, um, a diverse roster of, of analysts. And I think, um, you know, for me, the question now is going to be, what does this look like on day one? And then what does it look like by the end of the season? I, I actually think that over time, this Apple deal has a chance to be really good for MLS. I think the early months are going to be difficult. I think there's going to be some struggles in some of these broadcasts to be expected. They're essentially launching a network on a very tight timeline. And we've heard in reporting and talking to sources all around the industry that there are huge concerns for people who have worked in this industry about whether or not MLS is going to be able to do what they think they're going to be able to do. And I think we we're kind of maybe seeing some adjustments in the planning by Major League Soccer. However, I, I think Apple is taking this very seriously, and I think they are a brand that can elevate the MLS brand. 
And yeah. so, you know, when does that transition really start to take place? I, I think my biggest question is, does MLS understand what it takes to expand its audience when it's behind a paywall? You know, will they be able to produce content besides games that entice people into the league, make them interested in the league and make them want to watch games? They, I don't think they've really learned how to do that yet in their existence. And I, and I wonder whether or not this partnership with Apple will help them kind of see the light in that way. Yeah, a couple of thoughts on what you just said. So first is a big picture one. And this was a quote from Taylor Twelman uh, when he was speaking to Pablo Maurer, who was out in San Jose at Apple HQ for a press event on Tuesday. And what he said, it stood out to me. He said, it's, not a, it's about not having to fight for certain things that a league has to fight for that it shouldn't have to at this point. MLS has always had to apologize for who they are, what they're doing. They've always had to try and get airtime. Apple literally walked in the door and said, how can we make the consumer experience better? That's super encouraging, right? And of course, Twelman is going to say things like that. He's a he's a paid employee. Um, that's his job to, to promote this product. But like, I believe it. <laughs> and, and I think that's a really, really positive thing for MLS. On the other side, Paul, to your point about can they get people to sign up with not just content, of games, but content behind a paywall that that is interesting and that people will want to watch. I think that'll be a work in progress. You know, we got our hands on a on a document that sort of outlined some of the things the clubs will be obligated to do as part of this deal in terms of producing content. And it's, I mean, I don't know. We'll see it what what shape it takes. But initially, I think the offering is going to be pretty standard. Yeah, it feels you know, underwhelming. It to me to me it sort of feels like normal stuff that you would see on a club website for the most part in terms of the club channels. And I don't think, you know, it's a, is it underwhelming? Like maybe I, I think it's certainly unsurprising considering the tight timeline that these teams have been on to, to change this and, and the amount of manpower that is required to produce like really good stuff. Like they don't have that right now. That'll take time to build out. So, so I'm willing to be patient with that sort of thing. Um, I, I think Sam, tell me, I mean, I felt like what they went for here was quantity instead of, quality like they were like let's mm. fill these channels with a lot of content early on so let's have okay. player profiles team profile these are the things you need to know about the club these are the games that matter and what i found interesting about that is i don't i don't think that's quantity i think that's like the bare minimum that you have to have but it's like a number of videos about things that i think like the early on rush of people subscribing and getting behind the paywall to get into these channels are going to be fans of this team that already exists so i think for for some of these people, these are these are features that are going to be about things that they already know. And, uh, and, I, don't, and I just I don't feel like, so. I, I don't know, like, I mean, for me, and, and this is a, some, a, I banged on this drum more than once, but like, if you look at F1 and Drive to Survive, the, the success of that show, the way it's brought people to the sport, and it's not, it's not just that, right? Like the PGA Tour immediately saw that success they just announced today they put out the trailer for their show that's coming on Netflix that does the same thing on February. <laughs> Paul's going to be glued. Huge golf guy, yes. Paul Tenorio. Wrexham, Wrexham has this documentary that's made them popular amongst a, a group of American fans. Uh, you know they were, you know they 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 are a fourth tier, fifth tier club that's got a following because of this show. Sure, like, those are the types of ideas that I hope I get. What you're, I do I, believe I'm that sure the focus Paul, right now is Paul, on I'm setting sure up. I, th I think the focus right now is on setting up. Yeah. The 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 game part of it. 
But my hope is that MLS recognizes that and that they also recognize that there is a difference between all or nothing on Amazon that was, you know, vetted and like very little actual conflict or drama shown and was the the bare minimum, like how less effective that was in generating interest um, than versus like the shows that 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 tell True real reality yeah, that tell yeah. real stories yeah yeah uh, um i'm sure that they do realize all of those things i would say it's just a function of time and resources getting clubs up to speed in itself just to produce the content that they're obligated to produce right off the bat is something that was probably like a pretty big effort in some places you know like a lot of clubs don't have huge media departments and they need to make hires. <laughs> they need to get people in town. They need to get people trained and onboarded. And they have to do this all quickly, right? As a se- season is ongoing last year, and then in a short off season that includes holidays. So there are a lot of like like logistical hurdles. I, I, I am sure that every MLS team and that the league itself is thinking about those shows that you just mentioned. Whether or not they eventually execute them or not is a different question. It costs a lot of money. To do things like that, it requires a lot of buy-in. That buy-in can sometimes be um, made easier to get with some extra money. <laughs> um, but if it's in-house produced, then it's probably not going to be super-duper revealing. So I don't know. I, I would hope that MLS goes down that road. But I, I think it would have been unrealistic and perhaps a little bit unfair to expect that to be happening right away considering the short runway that they had for sure for sure i just what i'm saying is like if you're going to take full advantage both take full advantage of the apple platform and also maximize your opportunity to grow your fan base to get people to actually Mm -hmm. buy this product you have to provide something that non-mls fans or very casual you gotta build a story compelled gotta build a story and and like the lafc documentary or whatever it was on espn plus like that wasn't it you know, because it was an in-house produced yeah. show, like there are lessons here for MLS to, to pull from. And I think that along this first year, as they've learned in the build up to it, in the difficulty of building out a network in such a tight timeline, like I think there are going to be some real lessons learned about what I mean, it is that sells subscriptions. Man, I hope- learned it along the way. Like for me, I've been at The Athletic for five years now. Like my understanding of the types of stories that compel people to want to like truly read and subscribe to the athletic the good news is that it's usually your best stories right your best stories are the ones that sell subscriptions when you really get in depth when you tell stories that no one else is telling like that was that's been the coolest part of working at the athletic is realizing that the investment into those stories you know brings the greatest um return right and i i think that like it took you know you learn that as you start working behind a paywall i'm just very interested to see how MLS learns these lessons over the course of this year and kind of what they can do to make compelling um, content to, to tell compelling stories, because we know from years and years and years and years and years of TV ratings on, on ESPN and Fox that the games themselves don't sell to a wider audience. They just don't. Yep. So I don't know. I think overall, I think the opportunity is really good here. I still am confused by Apple's motivation, Paul. Like I, I just like did the back of the envelope math this morning. The average annual payout from Apple to MLS to broadcast all of these games is $250 million a year for 10 years. We know what the prices are and they'll probably rise over the course of that 10 years. But if we just hold it static at a hundred bucks a year, 
they're going to need two and a half million paid subscribers, minimum of that, two and a half million paid subscribers on average over that 10 year period just to break even year to year. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm like sure how many MLS Cup finals, how many MLS Cup finals have even been watched by two and a half million people? Right. Very few. <laughs> like, like that to me, there's no chance they get there this year. There's no chance they get even close, especially when you consider a large number of people who would be buying these subscriptions are going to be getting them as part of their season ticket accounts. So that's eating into your customer base, your subscriber base. That's fine. Like it's good to get those people in the door early and, and hook them and all of that. I'm not saying it, but financially, like there's, I, I'm curious if there's more to this deal than just the finances for Apple. We knew they were in for NFL Sunday ticket. They did not end up getting it. Um, I'm sure they will be in play for other sports rights down the road. Um, but this, there's a potential that this could be something of a laboratory for them, something of a test case. And we'll see how that goes too, because I, I don't see them like making a ton of money on this deal just from a subscriber standpoint. Yeah. And I think also like there are other avenues for revenue in TV. Right? Of course. It's like, there, there are other ads things that you're going to yeah. sell for halftime for on the score bugs, all those things will factor into that math as well. But it's going to be a challenge. I mean, we know better than anyone, Sam. Like, we literally have been in the business of essentially selling subscriptions to MLS fans and and soccer fans. Yeah. Um, and so, so what? Under- so what sells, Paul? Let's let's peel the curtain back. It's basically our my best selling piece ever was the MLS GM survey that we did last year, <laughs> and, and that basically involved MLS executives crapping on the league's format and structure you know but but people didn't know that like when they click it what do they want they want to know the truth behind the curtain right they want to see what people are will really say when they're given a chance to say it and again that's you know that to me is that idea is like show all of it show the good and the bad like if you if you were to do a show and you followed you know obviously like you said they can't do a show this year it'd be too quick but imagine following joseph martinez to miami imagine just more than that they need to have a a camera crew i almost swore they need to have a camera crew with miami 24 7 because think think about that all right you have joseph coming down okay that's great but you got david beckham there and oh by the way they're holding this third dp spot for leo messi this summer like I need to see Jorge Moss as he's pitching it, as he's working out strategies, as he's riding this emotional roller coaster of will he or won't he get messy? Like, and then plus, like the team itself is pretty interesting. They ended last year on, on a in a good way, uh, made some progress, hoping to make more this season. I think that fan base could be really cool. There's there's a lot of potential there. It's a good story, and it could be great. It could go bad for Miami this year, but either way, it's going to be interesting. So if I'm MLS, that's where I would want to be. Or I might want to be in Toronto for the same kinds of reasons. Like there are compelling stories in this league. It's just a matter of going out there and and getting the access and telling them. From that, from that level, I mean, you can go to teams that aren't as interesting, right? Like you could, you could put a camera crew, if you were willing to show everything, you could put a camera crew in Chicago. You've got a sporting director, technical director, and coach all in, all in a contract year, right? Like as long as you're willing to show the real ups and downs of the season of, of the way a loss feels or of a guy getting fired of those, those are the things that people will tune in to see. And, and you have to be able to sell what that really ultimately sells is storylines stories. It's why people bet 
heavily on the Detroit Lions this year going into the season because they were on hard knocks. It's why, like, you know, I, I, and this is anecdotally, but I have friends who are rooting for the Lions to make the playoffs just because they watched hard knocks and they got to know the coach and the players that were involved in it. Like, that's why you do it, right? So you can create buy-in around teams that you normally wouldn't and you yeah. just by creating storylines. I think that's I think- why... Zlatan was so good for the league is because he created buzz outside of the normal bubble that MLS exists in. You can't do it with the Chicago Fire. I'm not saying just the. I'm I'm saying again. No, you need the star. You need. I'm saying the the show needs to be league wide. Like if you did a show that was league wide, that wasn't just on one team. That you can find characters, you can find drama. Like you can have a camera with with Bruce Arena or walking. You know, always. For an entire season, in addition to your cameras in Miami, There's in addition to your crazy cameras in Toronto, you know, so like behind the scenes, yeah. So it, it's just something that I think uh, those are the stories that need to be told, and every team can do this too, but they have to be willing to show the bad, some of the bad stuff too, some of the drama, the conflict, the things that make people care about these teams, because otherwise, again, we have seen time and time again that the the games themselves don't sell, and like when you look at other sports, what's worked to get people to tune in. Part of it with the NFL is fantasy football. I, I Everyone watches games because of their, their, their fantasy the football NFL. teams. I, I, use any other sport. What makes people or popular sports? Like the reason is because those leagues get discussed every single day on shows. And we talk about the drama that's ongoing on X team or Y team or between X team and between Y team. And it compels you like, Oh, I'll, I'll tune into this game. Yeah, I saw sports, all week long that sports are so talk trash about this guy. It's all, it's just creating the drama, right? Think and so, about like, the Reina how can, yeah. situation. Sports are People so are going to tune into the first game that Gio Reyna plays again for the US. People are going to watch that because it will be talked about on mainstream media. Like, that's the, that's the reality. It's like you yeah. have to, and it will be, tell them it will be talked about because it's a soap opera. Like, that's the thing. And like, that's what Drives to Survive. I actually have never watched Drive to Survive, but I assume that's what Drive to Survive creates. And like, you need that drama. You need that kind of like, that, that's what people are drawn to, especially when the league on its own isn't enough. Right. So that's what MLS needs to needs to go. They need to go full Kardashian, get in the reality TV mix, <laughs> and like like <laughs> honestly, yeah. just kind of lean into that. Will that happen? Mm, probably not. There's a lot of resources and a lot of buy-in that may not exist. The league could mandate that sort of thing though if they wanted to. Um, it's just a matter of getting owners on board, and if the financial incentive is there, then owners will get on board. So. We'll see well, we know the financial incentive is there because they need to sell subscriptions. Yeah. So, so we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully something like that happens. I wouldn't rule it out. Um, I, I don't think it'll be happening this year, of course. No. But, but maybe for next year, um, it, it could be something that I think is, is really cool. And, and just quickly, we've talked about like this, this idea of drama. We've talked about like we both think that Apple and its brand can really elevate MLS. It's going to put them in a lot of different places that they've never been before. I think. I think internationally, this is a great deal in that if people who who sign on to Apple Plus could see an MLS game at any time that they want, whether you're in France or in Argentina or whatever. And and so those people who know that or who are watching on Apple TV are going to be able to see those games. I think that's really great from us. But we, we do have to acknowledge the second part of this, which is that, you know, I don't know that it's going to stay 40 percent of the games outside of the paywall in year two or in year three or year four. Eventually, you have to coax those people behind the paywall and the challenge of MLS has always been expanding the audience. There's a diehard group of fans that covers this league, that listens to this podcast, that reads our coverage. How can you expand that fan network? And that is the one downside of this Apple deal 
You're now putting it behind a paywall. You're making it harder for casual fans eventually, especially as that harder number for all fans, for, harder for, for fans all to, fans to access your games. Yeah. So you again, that's why it's so important for the league to figure out how to entice people eventually behind this paywall. And and it's it's a concern, a long term, a medium to long term concern is can they actually expand the fan base from behind a paywall? I think it's a short term concern. Well, it's just getting enough people back there. Like, yeah, I don't know. I think viewership will probably go down significantly this year. And they were already starting kind of low. So anyway, uh, Paul, I think that's enough about Apple. Let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk about U.S. soccer drama and MLS happenings. Lots going on. This episode is supported by season three of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. Last week, some more news broke on the U.S. men's national team front uh, regarding this drama between Greg Berhalter and Gio Reyna. The news, of course, was that the Reyna family, Claudio and Danielle, uh, specifically Danielle Reyna in a statement to The Athletic and other media outlets, admitted that she was the source of the information regarding an incident 31 years ago between Greg Berhalter and his then-girlfriend, now-wife, in which he kicked her during an argument Certainly, it was stunning news. It was um, a type of drama that we don't expect to be around, I think, any team that we cover on so many different levels. I spoke about it in depth last week on this podcast feed with Jeff Reuter. That episode is still on the feed. Please go back, listen to it. We dove in depth to it. Sam, you were on vacation last week as all of this was unfolding, so I'm interested to get your thoughts on everything, just kind of how you absorbed it from afar, your thoughts on how U.S. soccer is handling this, what it means for the future of the U.S. men's national team, and just kind of your reaction to the news coming out in the first place, how it hits you. Yeah, so, I mean, there's so many different layers to this story. First, I mean, just what a, what a disaster for the U.S. men's national team, like on many different levels. They're coming off of a relatively decent World Cup, you know, a lot of positive vibes, some good energy, everyone in the general kind of non-soccer public was like, okay, yeah, pretty solid. Let's, let's have some momentum heading into 2026. And then this comes out and, and Paul, I mean, I was off, so I wasn't paying as close of attention to the overall reaction, but it seemed to me like this got more airtime and play than anything that happened during the actual tournament regarding the U S both nationally and internationally. And that that's a shame for us soccer. It's obviously not the story that you want to be dominant. Um, so that's that's kind of the big picture U.S. soccer takeaway for me. Um, drilling down, I mean, what a mess on so many other levels. 
So let me just kind of go through it and I'll try and sum it up best I can. I thought it was ridiculous behavior by Gio Reyna to not train hard at the World Cup. Let's think about that for a second. He didn't train hard at the World Cup. Like, I, I get he's 20 years old. Like, you're not a baby. Like, you're an adult. You're representing your country. I understand that you're frustrated and you're disappointed by your role. That's natural. I would be too as well. However, like, this isn't about you. It's about your team. It's about your country. It's about the sport in this country. And showing the proper respect, honestly, to, to all of those constituencies by showing up and trying hard and giving your all. And according to our reporting, according to Gio Reyna himself in a statement, he did not do that. That was a massive mistake. He apologized for it. He owned it. And hopefully you can move forward. Now, this, all this other stuff comes out. I thought it was a terrible decision by Greg Berhalter to speak about that situation in public. I know those comments that he made that came out were supposed to be off the record. They were never supposed to be published anywhere. It was supposed to be between him and that room of people at whatever leadership symposium he was attending like three days after he got back from Qatar. But you're the head coach of the national team. You have to have some understanding of the situation. If you make comments like that, and it should be noted, he did not name Gio Reyna in those comments. If you make comments like that in a setting of people who you don't know, you have to have an expectation that it's going to leak out. And I don't know if he got caught in the moment or what, but I don't get it. Like this seems to be his main constituency is like MBAs at leadership symposiums. Like that seems to be who he cares about the most. And like, he has this need to like impress these people. And I I just don't understand why he would say that in a public setting. It was a bad, bad move by him. Those comments come out. Our story comes out shortly thereafter. I think a few hours after Paul, um, in which Gio Reyna was named for the first time. Uh, The Reynas, of course, called Ernie Stewart. And according to their statements from Danielle Reyna and Claudio Reyna, uh, just kind of like went off, basically. Um, They were really upset and angry that those comments had come out. Again, those comments did not mention Gio Reyna at any point. I think it's fair to say that anyone with a knowledge of the background who was paying attention during the World Cup, you can put two and two together, not that hard. But they went off on Ernie Stewart um, to express Danielle Reyna's, this is her, this is from her statement, her absolute outrage and devastation that Greg had made negative comments about her son, Gio, at a leadership conference. Again, Berhalter did not name Gio. So she goes off and while expressing her anger, Danielle Reyna told Ernie Stewart that she thought it was especially unfair that Gio, who had apologized for acting immaturely about his playing time, was still being dragged through the mud when Greg had asked for and received forgiveness for doing something so much worse at the same age. That, of course, was the abuse. Greg kicking Rosalind Berhalter when they were dating. Of course, they went on to reconcile. She basically said, Danielle Reyna, that that comment was made, I don't know, in the heat of the moment, and she didn't intend for it to become public, and she didn't really expect an investigation or any of these things. And she was speaking, you know, to her longtime friend, Ernie Stewart. And that is just like, what do you even say to that, man? She called his boss. Yeah. She called the sporting director. It's not a, like she called a lifelong friend on a, on a side call. She called his boss, right? And, and she used that because, and this is from her statement, at the time I called Ernie, many people were trashing Gio on social media due to Greg's t- comments, and I didn't know when or if this would stop. I just wanted to help 
Ernie to help make sure that there would be no further unwarranted attacks on my son. I thought our conversation would remain in confidence, and it didn't occur to me at the time that I could, anything I said could lead to invest to an investigation. It's just like, like, come on. Like, I know you're mad. I know you're upset. But, like, think. Just think for two seconds about what you're doing. And, and like, you know, Gio was getting trashed on social media. Guess what? Like, he kind of deserved it. Like, he didn't try at the World Cup. He put himself way above the team. And you as a parent, I get you want to protect your kid. Totally natural. I get that you're upset that those comments came out. Totally natural. I would have been upset too. But to say that in response to your son getting trashed on social media and you're complaining to the guy's boss because your son is getting dragged through the mud, like, and this is a way to stop that? Like, come on. I also would note that in the midst of this, that the the incident that she pulled up was about Greg. Yes. But it was a story. Yes, that that's the other Rosalind Burhalter's story to tell. If, and this if is maybe the main told. part. I feel so bad for her. She is the only one in this situation who didn't do something crappy. She's the only innocent here, really. And she's the one who has to relive that trauma in the most public setting imaginable. So her and her children, she and Greg Burhalter have four kids. Maybe they knew about this before. Maybe they, their parents had sat them down and talked about it. Maybe not. <laughs> you know, they get to live this family trauma on a massive global stage. And I cannot imagine what that would be like. But I, I know it's not fun. I know it's not pleasant. I'm sure it's a, a hell. And so they have to go through this because somebody in Daniel Reyna, who said herself was, was Rosalind Berhalter's best friend at UNC at the time of this incident, Claudio Reyna. Greg Berhalter's friend going all the way back to when they were like preteens in New Jersey. Like there's so many family dynamics in this. It's all very sad to me, Paul. Um, it's all very, I think ridiculous sounds glib, it, but it's, it's tragic in a way, like in, in like the, like a Greek tragedy kind of way. Like, and, and it's also, there, there are so many ramifications here. Like, does this affect whether or not U.S. soccer brings Greg Berhalter back? What does this mean for Gio Reyna's future on the international and club level? What does this mean for the human beings involved? You know, how could this not affect a marriage or a relationship between a parent and a child? Like, it's all, it's all very sad. And I think it was all very unnecessary because to me, and, and we're not in the room, it's hard to comment on somebody's relationship. We have no idea what these marriages are like. But Greg and Rosalind Berhalter reconciled months after the incident in which Greg Berhalter kicked Rosalind. And that is a shameful thing to do. He should not have done that. I think that goes without saying. But he abused his then girlfriend. And like that's something that he'll have to live with on his conscience for the rest of his life. But they reconciled. They got married. They have four children. They've been married for 25 years. Clearly, they've moved past it. And according to them, there have been no other incidents of this kind. The Reynas have been their friends for most of this time. They didn't have a problem with anything until their son didn't play at the World Cup. They're not actually concerned for Rosalind's safety. Because if they were, this is not how they would have brought this up. And that, to me, is the most um, reprehensible part of this. It's like... They wanted to take an eye for an eye, but they took like a fingernail for a beheading. Like, it's just, it's ridiculous. And, and Claudio is not blameless either here. You know, he was, 
Paul, did he say he was he was texting Ernie Stewart? Yeah, he and said Brian he was McBride? texting his friends, including Ernie Stewart and Brian McBride, who were friends and former teammates. Which again, about Gio's also- playing time, which is so inappropriate, man. Like it, like you're the parent of a kid on team. Like like, I, I get that you're a U.S. soccer legend. You have a position of leadership at an MLS club. You run the soccer side for Austin FC, and I'm very curious to see what happens there. By the way, um, but. But you're texting the coach's boss saying, hey, my son should be playing this BS. Like if I'm Ernie Stewart, I'm being like, hey, Claudio, I get that we've known each other forever and that we're friends and I understand your position and I understand why you're frustrated. But like this is entirely inappropriate to text me about if you have an actual concern about how your son is being treated and you think something is happening that's untoward. Please, I'm all ears. I would like to hear that. But if it's just a frustration about a coach's decision to not play him, let's talk about it some other time because I don't have time for that right now. And, and like, I mean, it's just, it's just everything wrong with, with sports parents, um, youth sports parents, but instead of being the U12 team that's playing in Westchester County on the weekends, it's at the friggin' world cup and it's a joke. And like pretty much everybody involved in this situation should be embarrassed. Like, <laughs> I don't know, man. And, and like, there are more layers to this Paul that I, I think, I don't know if you talked about them last week, but are worth mentioning. Austin FC, where Claudio Claudio Berhalter, where Claudio Reyna is sporting director. Head coach is Josh Wolf, Greg Berhalter's right-hand man at Columbus and with the U.S. men's national team. Owner is Anthony Precourt, who was the owner of the Columbus crew when Greg Berhalter was there. That's going to be an awkward situation. And Paul, I think it's worth mentioning. Austin FC, they made a trade with Houston just earlier this week. The quote in the press release was not from Claudio Reyna. It was from Sean Rubio, his number two. So I'm curious to see where this goes. There is an ongoing investigation um, that is still to be completed. Uh, we'll see where that lands and what that means for Verhalter. I think maybe it could mean something for Reyna as well. Um, and then, I mean, Gio Reyna, man. You come back into that locker room. Oof. That's not going to be fun. Like, you come back in there, all your teammates are... All your teammates who, by the way, were already mad at you for your lack of effort in training and sort of ripped into you in Qatar, as we reported, they're seeing you and they're like, oh, you you had to have mommy and daddy do this for you? Like, you can't handle your business yourself? Like, I mean. And and it, there's also a locker room where other guys didn't play at a World Cup, right? Like, Brendan Aronson didn't yeah. get as many minutes as he would have wanted. You know, you can go down the list of guys. So... Sam, I, I like I, Tim, like Tim Weah, man. Cause like, presumably the Reynas aren't mad that he's not Reyna isn't that Gio's not playing over Pulisic. So they're mad that he's not playing over Tim Weah. Like, do you think George Weah knows, knows who Claudio Reyna is? Claudio Reyna had a great career, but it was nothing compared to George Weah's nothing. And, and George, I'm, I'm just kind of imagining George Weah sitting in the presidential palace or whatever in Liberia and being like, like chuckling, like, who is this guy? What does he think he's doing? Like, those guys played well. Who like? Well, yeah. I mean, I think we go back to that initial decision to start Tim Weah and that Gio Reyna would start as a substitute. You know, that's what it was. It was an initial decision, essentially, to start Tim Weah over Gio Reyna and Brendan Aronson in that opening game. Tim Weah scored the goal. The other winger, yeah. Christian Pulisic, had the assist. So the yeah. decision actually paid off. It was yeah. the correct decision in that it was the guy scored the goal. And how can you play Gio Reyna when he's not even trying and training? You can't play him. 
Like, and, and then by the way, everyone that's saying, Oh my God, he's the best player. He's the most talented guy. Of course he is talented. Of course. I'm not trying to dispute that, but he came on against the Netherlands and did nothing for 45 minutes. Like, it's not like he showed out. Like, I think we need some perspective on that too. I think also like his role throughout the whole qualifying campaign was not as a starter. He started the first game against El Salvador, got he played injured in three games. He was and he, injured and he the ended whole time. up playing again in March and he started two games in September those didn't go well either for the U.S. or for Geo. So he only started know, one in September. He only played the first game. I thought he, he came injured. off injured in the second game. No, he, he came, came off in the first. He played the whole game, but he suffered the injury then. Either way, in no, I'm sorry. In September of the friendlies and the, the lead up oh, to Qatar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he played. He started both of those games. He came off injured in the second friendly. Yeah. but it's not like like those were lit up either. I'm just saying, like again, Gio Reyna should be one of the most important players for the U.S. going forward. You hope he continues to develop. You hope he continues on the trajectory that's seen him look like one of the best prospects in this entire pool. But I, I don't think it was like this no-brainer decision that he had to start. And again, the guy who started over him in the first game scored the goal and played very well in the tournament overall, I thought. Sam, that brings us to the next stage of this, which is moving forward. Actually, add- before, we, before we do that, I have yeah. one more thing. Um, people, I think, are criticizing U.S. soccer, the federation, for all of this. And I think some of it makes some sense. It is pretty insular, the community. Uh, you know, there is like some incestual vibes going on. It's a little bit too tight. Um, but Not too different from a lot of federations around the world. I don't, players. I don't sure. really understand anything they could have done to prevent this, except for maybe Ernie Stewart drawing clearer boundaries between himself and Claudio Reyna to begin with. Right. Greg Berhalter was hired as head coach. There were allegations of nepotism involved with that decision, with Jay Berhalter being the COO of U.S. soccer at the time. Um, again, an insular small world that we live in. Um, but Gio Reyna is talented. And yeah, it was the right call to bring him to the World Cup based on his ability. <laughs> and Claudio Reyna and Greg Berhalter go way back. And that, to me, it's sort of coincidence. Like, I don't think there's much you can do about that. And there's certainly, I don't think, much U.S. Soccer Federation can do about a parent's Claudio and Daniel Reyna kind of going, going off like this. I don't, I don't think there's much in their control there. I think if you want to criticize them, I think you can for it being too insular and too small. And maybe they should look to broaden their horizons and maybe they should look to behave in more professional ways. And maybe, I don't know, maybe Ernie Stewart did respond those ways to Claudio Reyna. Maybe he said, Claudio, I don't, I don't want to talk about this with you. We don't know. Maybe he didn't, but he could have done that and Claudio still could have done all this anyway. Yeah. I mean, the the irony to me is that like us soccer did look outside. They hired Jurgen Klinsmann, Neil Galati did. He was hired as a coach. Eventually he was also made as the technical director. It's not just about coach after the failure to get to 2017 at the failure in 2017 and to get to the 2018 world cup. The call from the public was, we need soccer people making soccer decisions. It shouldn't just be Sunil Gulati hiring the coach. We need a sporting director. We need a general manager. And U.S. soccer did that. They hired two, eventually hired two former U.S. men's national team players, Ernie Stewart and Brian McBride, and then obviously a former U.S. men's national team player as the coach. And now the pivot has become, well, you shouldn't have people who have been involved in the program for so long in these positions of power because it's too insular. So the question I is I think now, the lesson is whoever is in charge needs to be more professional about this this stuff. Yeah. Probably. Well, I I just don't know how much you can anticipate what Claudio Reyna's actions were going to be at the World Cup. No, but to, I think, you, your I point, think so. you probably have to have a system in place 
right? Yeah. Of when a parent goes off, how you respond to that. If you're the sporting director, if you're the head coach, if you're the federation and there probably needs to be protocol and maybe they didn't have that. Maybe they did. Um, but I think going forward, they certainly should and they probably will. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it feels anyway. like there's, there's a hint towards that in the press conferences about the investigation saying things like it's, you know, that this investigation has opened up to include communications from people outside of us soccer towards multiple staff members inside of us soccer mm-hmm. without naming who those communications come from. I think just connecting the dots, you assume that it is in regards to some of these text messages um, or, you know, communications in general, but also there was something about essentially processes and to, to your yeah. point. So Sam, I have kind of a dual question here and it's a hard one, but it's I probably to some degree, the question that's being asked at us soccer is based only on soccer, like on the soccer side of things, the results, the progress, and the potential to move that progress forward, would you bring Greg Berhalter back as coach? And then two, can you remove the equation of everything happening from the Reinas? And should you from no. this equation? So how, how do you feel about whether Greg Berhalter deserve, deserves or doesn't deserve to come back as coach based on the soccer? And would you bring him back as coach based on the entire picture here? Well, to use an old cliche, deserve has nothing to do with it. It's just about what the other options are and how they compare to Greg. Like that's the equation. Can we find somebody better or can we not? Uh, Burhalter, I think we've, we've talked about this in print. I think we talked about it on the show. Like, I think he did a decent job. I don't think he did an A plus job, but I think he did a solid job. I think if you wanted to say, Hey, I think we did. He, I think he was good enough to bring him back. I think you could be justified in making that choice. I think there are probably people out there that could maybe elevate it a little bit further. Whether or not you can get those people is an entirely different question budget is probably going to be a concern for us soccer. They have a lot of money to pay out in lawsuits <laughs> and, and that's something that has to be taken into account. You know, we saw a report Zinedine Zidane popped up and he said apparently that he wouldn't be interested in managing any national team except for France, more power to him. But like, let's say that he was interested. Well, he probably would have cost like, I don't know, five, $10 million a year. Like, can us soccer afford that? Like, Maybe if you want to say, well, 2026 is going to be this cash cow for us and we can bet against that. But like right now, not really. And and so that's something that needs to be considered. Do you want Jesse Marsh? Like that's the other name out there. Like Steve Chirundolo, is that an option potentially? Like is Jim Curtin in the mix? Are you thinking that those options are going to be better than Greg Berhalter? I, I don't know. I think you could justify bringing Berhalter back before this from a strictly like soccer soccer standpoint. My personal opinion, I think even before this, you move on, you bring in some new blood, um, new messenger, new, new messenger, I guess, a new, a new person delivering kind of their, their new ethos, their new system. Um, and, and I think you can find an alternative that would do a good job. I think sometimes with national team coaches that everything just goes stale over an eight year period. And I would be worried about that happening for Burhalter and this group of players. Um, with this, I don't know how this impacts it, Paul. I could see this like galvanizing certain players around Berhalter, honestly. Like I could also see it as a situation where U.S. soccer is just like, this is a mess. Thank you. We're done. Like we're moving on. Um, I think that's probably the right way to go. Just go with a fresh start. But I wouldn't be shocked, you know, pending results of the investigation, of course, if they kept them aboard. Yeah. I mean, I think there is that idea of like, how has the team responded? There hasn't been any public comments from any U.S. men's national team players since no, there the were, Danielle. There were a few. 
from DeAndre Yedlin and Walker Zimmerman. Oh, did they speak as, uh, on Tuesday at the MLS yeah, Media Day? Yeah, MLS Media Day. And then they gave kind of boilerplate stuff, but they were both supportive as of Greg and the job that he did. Um, it wasn't anything super revealing, but they they both kind of stood and, and backed their head coach. I think for Zimmerman, that's totally natural and understandable. Like this is the guy that brought him into the national team and made him captain and gave him a big role and, and all that stuff. And he's hopeful to continue on in the future. I think for Yedlin, it's maybe a little bit more... Um, he's got a different perspective. He'd been in the national team well before Berhalter ever arrived. Um, and he might not be in the national team going forward just from a pure age perspective. So maybe he can speak a little bit more freely or feels like he can. Um, so yeah, they were both supportive of Berhalter in their comments. Interesting. So I, I think, you know, that, that certainly factors in, I, there probably is a little bit of a fear to a certain extent of, of, empowering one side over the other in in the decision like like the end game here was the end game here to get rid of greg as coach and essentially is are these actions did they essentially lead to that right did is it is it not about the soccer and it's about the sideshow that has now eliminated greg berhalter from contention and i think u.s soccer probably is going to be a little bit afraid of acknowledging that certainly i think publicly um i I wouldn't expect them to like rewarding the reinas for their behavior essentially yeah exactly um and, and empowering in some ways, those, those types of behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's, there's probably a concern there. I think it also should be acknowledged um, and important to acknowledge uh, how desirable the U S job is right now today. I think Zidane, if it's true and he did turn down the opportunity or turn down the middleman about the potential opportunity, it shows that like, this is a, this is a very um, weird job, weird time to take over the U S they, they don't have world cup qualifiers this cycle. They have nations league and gold cup essentially and maybe the Copa America which by the way the the reporting on that has been so weird everyone's talking about it like it's like it's done yeah and And and, like it's not it's not done they're not what we heard it's like not like it's like a 50 50 shot either like the the, there's a little bit of like that that hubris of like of course the Copa America would want the United States to come it's not even that man I'm hearing people talk about it like oh well the U.S. is playing in the Copa America Right, right Yeah. So, so I think that factors in as well. And again, when you go to prices too of coaches, let's say you do want to aim very, very high and you're saying, okay, we want pep. We want like a high, high level coach and you, you do the finances of it. It might make sense for that hire not to happen until 2025, the, the year leading into the world cup. You're only spending one year at $10 million versus or 2024. To, yeah. whatever. Right, or trying to spend three or four years at that price, you know? So all of those things factor in and, and you're right. It comes down to who are the candidates they're really, truly looking at. You know, if, it, if Jesse Marsh is available, does he fit this national team? Do you believe that you can play a high press system at the international level um, and, and kind of stick to that Red Bull idea? Uh, you know, we've seen that, that that's adjust? kind of how, yeah. You know, would he adjust or would he not, you know, as he's been, kind of a disciple of that movement. So all of these things factor in. I think I'm at the point now saying where I I don't I don't think Berhalter will be back. But like you, I wouldn't be surprised if he's back, but I, I'm at the point now where I just yeah. think that they are going to look at it as too big of a risk to potentially pull this sideshow further and further and further into the cycle round. Yeah. And I don't think important tournament. I don't think that risk outweighs the reward because eventually Geo Berhalter is going to get a Geo 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 Reyna is going to get called <laughs> back into the U S men's national team. We both did it. Like if Berhalter is coaching, like just imagine the circuit. So I, I, these are the things that are being weighed now. And I just think it would be, I think they'll look at it as too big of a risk at pulling down this incredibly important event 
because that would become the story at the start of the World Cup when all all the other media outlets descend that only cover the World Cup and and Greg Berhalter's there. I think you you you're probably weighing that risk of what would this story be of the U.S. hosting the World yeah. Cup. So it's it's just man, it's just a totally crazy scenario, and it, we're clearly we're not done yet, right? Because this this investigation is ongoing. Like you said, I mean, even just the fact that Claudio Reyna's name is not in these press releases, like this story is not done yet. And and um, and I'm not going to underestimate what comes next, because I, I think the situation has shown that um, it, it certainly yeah. exceeds kind of what any you know sane thinking would be. One last thing for me, and then we can take a break and talk about other matters because we've been going for a while here. But where does Gio Reyna go from here? This is a real inflection point in his career now. And he's obviously a big talent. Obviously he's dealt with injury issues. All of that. I think I'm going to put to the side for the moment, but he's gone through like a pretty mm, intense negative experience over the last two months. He went to the world cup, a lot of hopes didn't fulfill those hopes responded poorly to that adversity left the world cup. This happens, right? If you're him, like, okay, how are you going to respond by putting your head down and saying, okay, I need to earn this. I need to go out and really perform and I need to kind of like be no drama for a while. Are you going to say, well, no, I, I was wronged. I deserve things. I'm in, I'm entitled to things. And are you going to not go out and get it? Like that, that's, he can go one of two ways, right? And I'm really curious to see what happens. I'm also really curious to see, let's say he succeeds with Dortmund and does well. I think inevitably, if that happens, there will be interest in him from other clubs. And I think production will outweigh everything. But if I'm, if I'm a Premier League team, if I'm a, if I'm a team that, that Gio, that's looking to buy Gio Reyna, I'm looking at all of this. And I'm saying, okay, maybe if I thought this guy was a $50 million player, Maybe because of all that stuff, he's 40, right? This is going to have implications on his career. And, and depending on that production, maybe it's 80 and 70, maybe it's 50 and 40, maybe it's 10 and 5 or 10 and 2. Like, like this is going to have a cost to him, I think. Uh, it might not, but if it doesn't, he's going to have to do a ton to overcome what he did in, in not trying hard and training and then what his parents did subsequently. Paul, any other thoughts? Can we take a break? Yeah, I think it's I think it's a good time to take a breath and right. take a break. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder, Paul. That was a that was a segment, man. Wow, uh, you, you're for, coming back into Allocation Disorder just oof. like you are just in fine form, mid season form already. I had some Sam. things to say. I took notes, you know, before the show. 
which is really off brand for this this podcast. The the prep is minimal, um, but this time I wanted to make sure I had my facts straight. So you know, I actually did some preparing. Um, regardless, uh, back into your standard programming. <laughs> moving <laughs> moving off of the E channel and onto onto the sports network. No um, notes for this one. No notes for this segment. <laughs> well, we wrote some articles about it, so I think those count. Um, back into MLS transaction roster rule worlds, Paul. We might have some resolution on Joseph Martinez. This is a story that you and I broke on Tuesday, but Atlanta United is in the process of finalizing an agreement where they would buy out part of Martinez's contract the year remaining on it, um, and Inter-Miami would sign him um, afterwards. Uh, They would pay him the remainder that he is owed, make him whole. Uh, and he would not be a designated player for them. It would be under the 1.6 whatever million dollar threshold to to be a DP. Atlanta would exercise their offseason buyout, so he wouldn't be a DP for them either. He'd be free and clear. And in South Florida, Paul, we reported that he's actually in Miami as of yesterday. Anyway, he was in Miami meeting with the club. Um, so this this seems likely to get done. It's kind of a la the Josie Altidore leaving Toronto FC and joining New England Revolution last year. Uh, same sort of mechanics uh, as that move. Uh, but what do you what do you make of this? End of an era, I think, for Atlanta, if it happens. Um, and an interesting acquisition for Inter-Miami. I mean, for me, it was a little... I think it's... Um, I think it's a sign or the final stamp to declare that it was a kind of, in my opinion, a botched job with Joseph Martinez for Atlanta United. Um <laughs> In the what grand scheme, it? I think just at losing him in this manner, like a club legend that it was handled so poorly towards the back end of his career. A lot, a lot like, of times things go like this, though. Yeah, I mean, I'm just surprised by it. I mean, it, it was it was like multiple layers of it in that, you know, even his role late in the season as he was scoring goals and getting healthy, they weren't starting him. They were leaving him on the bench. It was like doing what you can do to tank the value like the trade value for Joseph Martinez by the end of the season went from like there was trade value to nil. And, and, and this shows it, it's become an off season buyout. So I think it was just handled very poorly over the back half of last season to knowing that it's probably going to end that this is the last year. I think you have to have the foresight to say, okay, what can we do to make sure that we keep some value to be able to get something in the trade market? And instead they went to a point where it's an off-season buyout. They're losing him to a conference rival for free. And I and look, I know that it became this kind of heated thing back and forth between player and club. I know that Joseph Martinez is not the easiest personality to deal with. But mm-hmm. The guy was in decent form at the end of last year. He, he and was. He could have been handled better. That's how we I don't, feel. We don't know how he was behaving behind the scenes. And Gonzalo Pineda has a locker room to manage as well. And if a guy is acting out in a way that sort of determines that like if I play him, I'm going to lose everybody else on that team. Well, then the coach and the club are in a difficult position. And so I think there should be probably some understanding there as well. I, mean, I guess, I mean, look at what they're doing this off season. Like they're emptying out that locker room. Like if you know that that's coming that, I mean, I guess they were in so, sort of a playoff hunt, but the guy was scoring goals. So it goes yeah, into that. I, mean, I would have, well. I would have played him more personally. Yeah, You're trying to get to the playoffs and you know that the next year you're going to do what they're doing to the roster. Yeah, well, they, they have to. I mean, they're like offloading DPs left and right. Like just and, like and, loaning and them out, transferring. Like, and that sort of just goes, it's like a weird strategy that they have where it's like they have like a lot of DPs on the books and to the point where like they have to loan people out or they have to sell people 
because they have to get under that limit of three. And like, it's just like, I don't know, like on the one hand, I love it because it's an MLS team being super duper aggressive. On the other hand, it's like kind of lighting money on fire, which it seems like a weird strategy and a weird way to build a team. So I don't know. I, I think Martinez in Miami is really interesting. I think we, we talked about Joseph. I don't, everything is a mess in my mind before the world cup, when it came apparent that he was going to be probably looking for an exit. I was advocating for Orlando. <laughs> yeah. We brought um, up Orlando as like the yeah. best destination. Um, Miami, I think is interesting. They have Campana. They have a striker, a DP striker for that fact. Um, so they don't necessarily need the positional fit. Maybe they'll play two. Campana's a bigger guy. Joseph can run off of him. I could see that working pretty well, depending on how you set up the rest of the team. Um, Pozuelo behind them. That could be interesting as well, <laughs> potentially. And then, you know, maybe Messi shows up in the summer. And-, and now you've got Pizarro on one wing, right? You've got Pizarro out on the left wing coming inside yeah. as well. So, so this is potentially a very potent attack for Inter-Miami. Um, one that could cause a lot of problems for a lot of different teams around the league. So I'm curious to see how Phil Neville makes all the pieces fit, but he's got a lot of good pieces. He's also got a lot of big egos to manage. So he's got to figure that out too. But to be fair to Neville, he did a good job of that with Iguain last year in particular. So I think he can handle that part of it. Um, so yeah, for, we'll, see for, if, we'll see if this gets done, but it seems likely at this stage. For me, it's a, it's kind of like one of those deals where it's like, okay, Joseph is happy going to Miami, living in Miami. You can get him on a non-DP deal, giving up absolutely no assets to get him. It's kind of a no-brainer. It's one of those, it's like, yeah, we'll take him. What if Campana gets hurt? Now you got Joseph Martinez. What if Joseph Martinez needs to have you know, a less regular playing time or needs to have have his knee managed yeah. or whatever. Yeah. He's going to be playing on grass, not turf. I think that'll be helpful for him. He certainly has a little bit of that Miami personality in general. I think he'll fit well <laughs> in with the city. I think he'll find some spots where he where he he'll be in Dorosuela, West Venezuela. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I, I think it's a great fit. And, you know, I, considering that they wanted to keep a DP spot open, it worked out very nicely for Miami. I have a feeling... I mean, the guy scored nine goals last year, coming off an injury, having sparing playing time. When you look at his minutes played, his production was still decent. I would say it's good money to bet on Joseph Martinez going on the over. If you say over 10 goals, over under 10, I'll bet the over. Okay. Um, I'm going to need to think about that some more. Maybe that's when we can come back to on a season preview show. Um, Speaking of season preview shows, we're approaching that time and we don't even know what the playoffs are going to look like. Paul, <laughs> Pablo Maurer and I, we reported, I think in October that the league was considering a group stage, knockout stage, world cup style format for the playoffs, eight teams from each conference, two groups of four group stage, top two teams advance. And you do a single elimination bracket. Apparently that is now less likely than an option where the first round would be a best of three series eight teams again from each, each conference. And then it would be best of three in the first round and then single elimination the rest of the way. The sources that we spoke to weren't really sure how the best of three would work, but in the past, MLS has done this format before. They did it in the early days of the league. It was a race to five points. Whichever team got five points first advanced. Uh, that can be two wins in the opening two games, of course. That could be two draws in a win. Uh, it could be extra time in the third game, so on and so forth. Um the main idea here is that the league needs to add games. They need to get to about 30 playoff games per postseason in order to satisfy, I think, Apple and what they told them that they would be delivering in terms of inventory. Um, this would get them there. Uh, 
well, potentially, because he could have two or three games in the first round series. It'd be between 23 and 31 total matches in the playoffs. What do you think of this idea? Are you into it? Are you not? I mean, I think the playoffs have been compelling with single elimination, but I get wanting to create yeah. a postseason that's got more playoff games. They are the most compelling games. The the regular season, that's been a big problem for a lot of leagues, not just Major League Soccer. And is, can you make people care as much about yeah. the regular NBA, season? NBA, MLB. Yeah, a lot. And and frankly, they you know it makes sense to, to increase the inventory of playoff games. I don't know that they were going to find a perfect solution. I thought the group stages had some real headaches. Um, with yeah, the Ed, league, Ed Robert games and things like that, like... It yeah. wouldn't have, wouldn't have been great. Wouldn't have been great. Um, so I think this this fits better to try to increase that inventory for sure. Yeah, I'd be curious to see how it plays out. The other option, of course, if you, is you just go back to what you had prior to this current iteration, which has been single elimination all the way through, where you do two legs for every series except MLS Cup. Uh, I'm stalling a little bit so I can do the math, but if you have eight teams in each conference, that's what six, seven series. Per conference, so that'd be f- that'd be fourteen games on each side. That's twenty eight plus one more for MLS Cup. That's twenty nine. That would get you there. I think the league is probably concerned about the entertainment value in those matches. You see a lot of the first legs kind of be duds in that format. I think also there's probably a natural concern there about not rewarding the higher seed enough. Um, although you could mitigate that by saying if it's a tie after one hundred and eighty minutes, the higher seed goes through. Um, but yeah, I think. I think they want to maintain some semblance of the single elimination format that has worked really well the last few years while also increasing the number of games. And, and we'll see what the eventual solution looks like. But that's that's the overall objective here. Um, I don't know how best of three would, would be. I'm a little skeptical about it. Oh, one other topic that we covered earlier this week in a piece is kind of an allocation disorder, bread and butter. This is in the wheelhouse, baby. This is the special, baby. <laughs> so... According to people that we've spoken to around the league, uh, there's optimism around the idea that MLS will maybe soon, maybe this summer, start allowing actual intra-league transfers. Not allocation money, but you know, Inter-Miami buys a player from Atlanta United for $2 million. Like actual dollars. Um, Paul, what do you think of this? Do you think it'll happen? And what if it does, what do you think kind of the implications would be? It certainly sounds like it's going to happen. It sounds like there's real momentum. So, yeah, I do think it will happen. Whether it happens this summer or it happens next year, I don't know. But I think I think this is one of those stories, Sam. You and I have gotten these vibes of, like, I think the first time I heard about this was, like, three years ago. So this makes sense on timing of it eventually happening. It takes, like, usually three know. or four years. I think we might of, need a few more years. How long have you been hearing about homegrown territories? Homegrown territories longer. That's for sure that's longer. Yeah, yeah definitely. But it, it makes sense. It makes sense for the league. Uh, most often, I think in most leagues around the world, the intra-league transfers are the biggest place to do business, especially for the smaller market teams. This is how you generate revenue to be able to fund the development of your team. And the risk, of course, is that the biggest teams go and spend the money and take the best players from other teams. But I think we've seen also that MLS is quite an active external transfer market, especially from those big market teams, that the the LAs and Torontos and Atlantas, they want to go to South America to find their stars. So could this actually help some other teams find that third DP. I, we've seen evidence of it already with Seattle, right? To, to go get Rusnak. So I, I think this will be a Martinez. good... Joseph Martinez. Yeah, Joseph Martinez. I mean, he's not a DP, but there are... What I what I don't like, what I haven't liked seeing in, in the past in this league and in the current iteration as it exists, is players leaving MLS because they 
because of the way these like they can't there's not enough trade money to make a trade happen and so a player is going to leave because the teams that would want to keep him can't come to an agreement like this is a way to keep good players in the league this is a way to reward some of the smaller market teams from finding good players capitalizing on those good players yes they, they go to another team in mls but they stay in the league and that that smaller team can take that money and go use it somewhere else and try to find the next one i don't think it's just the case that it would be smaller teams selling to sure it could be I think it could be a team actually would work on the other way a lot so like for instance atlanta united they have a zillion dps they need to get rid of them right well maybe a team like Real Salt Lake can come in and say, hey, we know this guy. We like him. We he's he's a fit in MLS. Like we know what we're buying with a much higher degree of certainty than if we were to go get a guy from Colombia or Argentina or Slovakia or wherever. Let's just go buy him and he can come here and we'll make him a DP. We'll keep him a DP and he can do well for us. Like, I think we'll see a lot of that, too, honestly. For sure. Like Joseph Martinez is a great example. I looked at this when we were reporting it out and I thought to myself, man, like Minnesota wants a forward. You can get Joseph Martinez on a free transfer essentially right now. And all you got to do is pay him his three and a half million dollar salary. That's cheaper than anything you're going to go for an unknown from outside the league. Well, they, those they are could, the types of things that they that could do that happen. theoretically now, too, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, with Joseph, yes. But I'm saying like there, there are going to be these instances where, yeah, like you said, a bigger club is moving on from a DP to bring in another one. We've yeah. seen how many clubs have we seen? buy the fourth DP before they got rid of the third DP and get stuck. It happens all the time. It's happened a few times now. So the this, I think, will be a good thing for the league overall. I think it will reinforce the the business structure of some of the smaller clubs as well. Um, you know, I think that it yeah, it's is... Yeah, an additional revenue stream. Yeah. And, yeah, and and the more of those that you can create, the better. I think it also could, could help kind of the efficiency rate and settle some of the crazy spending outside the league that, that MLS has done. So... All in all, I think it's a good thing for the league. We know every single... It was the only unanimous answer in our GM survey <laughs> last year. The only one. 21 for 21. Every single person we spoke with said that, yes, MLS should have an interleague transfer market. So I think that speaks for itself. Yeah. Good thing for the league. Hopefully it happens by the summer. We don't know what it would look like if it does happen. If you would be, if there would be limits, if it would be restricted to certain players, whatever. I'm sure there would be all kinds of different rules around it. Uh, we don't know how it would count on budget charges. We don't know anything about that. That'll be for another show. We heard it'll be similar to the budget charges as far as the transfer fee being amortized in. But that was that was just an expectation. Damn, that's not a, I would that's say not a concrete thing. You asked me earlier, like, what are my odds, or like, do I think it's going to happen? And I just realized that there's a, there's a reason why we can say it's probably going to happen in the summer. In the in the grand conspiracy theories of MLS, oh, the Galaxy have an international transfer ban this summer. Of course, the interleague transfer system <laughs> is going to be introduced in the summer window when the Galaxy can't buy anyone from outside. Yes, we know now it's coming in the summer to help okay. the Galaxy in their time. There you go. There you go. Um, all right, Paul. Well, it's been a fun welcome back. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, welcome to 2023. It promises to you know we thought this would be a quieter year than 2022 no world's cup for the men this time around perhaps not uh crazy times as always thank you so much for listening i am sam he is paul this has been allocation disorder we'll be back next week